and it's tall. It makes me feel short. <laughs> Part of the reason why I like using the mic stand is be, or the music stand, so I can lower it way down here, and then I, I have so much more torso. <laughs> Today, I don't have that. I'm not going to be able to do anything with this, am I? I want it fixed. I'm sorry. Yes. Perfect. Now it's my size. Okay. <clears throat> well, as we get started this morning, I'm going to start with telling you a little bit about something that I learned about in uh, 2001. Um, you know, today, if, if you're, when, when you're sitting in this building, you're, you're, this building is part of what's called the Church of the Lutheran Brethren. And, and for a lot of people, that doesn't mean very much. It didn't mean very much to me, myself, when, 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 uh, when I first started to hang around these people. And, and, and it's, in Southern Iowa, we don't have a lot of CLB churches around us, but in other parts of the of, the, of America where I've lived, I've been surrounded by these CLB churches, and, and they're usually full of Norwegians. I'm just curious. I don't know if there's hardly any Norwegian. Who's Norwegian here? So there's like three hands, okay? And, and, and see, and I'm telling you because that's really different because what happened was in 1901, these Norwegian churches in Wisconsin, there's like three of them, I think. It could have been five, but I believe it was three of them. And, and they kind of got together and they said, you know what, why don't we come together and why don't we start talking about doing stuff together that if we weren't together, we couldn't do on our own. So these few churches in 1901 started what is called the Church of the Lutheran Brethren. And they came together and they came together with this purpose, that they would send out missionaries, that, the, that these churches would, would, would send some of their money to what they called the CLB, Church of Lutheran Brethren of America, and they would pool their money, they'd send this money, and then they would use this money to send out missionaries. So they came together in 1901, and they talked the big game. And in 1902, not even a year, full year later, they sent out their first missionary. And I'm telling you this because for the first 50 years that they were a denomination, they, they, they sent 50% of all of their income overseas for missions. So that other people, those who would be, we would consider weaker, who have never heard the, the, the message of Jesus Christ, would have an opportunity to hear it. And I'm telling you this because as of today, there are, there's 125 CLB churches in America and Canada. 125. There's over 1,500 CLB churches in Chad, Cameroon, Taiwan, Japan, and another country I'm not allowed to mention. Think about that. 1,500. If you're sitting in here and, and, and let's say you say, hey, I, I, I go to a CLB church and you are white, you have white skin like me, Caucasian, you know, here's what you need to know. You are a minority. We are many, many, many times bigger in Africa than we are in America. And I tell you that because they had to come together to, to, to get to where they wanted to be, to do what they wanted to do in, in the world of missions. I'm telling you this because in 2015, this guy named Nathaniel and his wife, Carrie Zimbodi, Nathaniel grew up being a missionary in Chad, Africa. And, and then as he's growing up, he said, I'm going to be a missionary. So he, this guy wants to be a missionary. Um, and he, he says, you know, I'm going to go and I'm going to be a missionary in Chad. And, and, and it's called uh, Budamasa. And I actually had the privilege of walking in this town in Chad. I don't know if you'd call it a town. 
Um, it's literally huts. It's, it's what you imagine when you, when you look at a national geographic magazine. And he goes to this community and, and, he, and he asks the chief, can, can I live with you guys? I want to come and I'm going to live amongst you. And the chief says yes, and the chief lets him in. Well, right as he starts to move in, the chief comes up to him, and his name's in this little, I think it's Idris. But he, he walks up to Nathaniel, and he's having a conversation with him. And, and let me go back and tell you something about the chief. When you're in a chief in one of these villages, what the chief says is kind of what goes. The people follow the chief. And the chief walks up to, to, to Nathaniel, and he says, Nathaniel, um, we really need a school. And, and, and Nathaniel's like, hey, I didn't come here to, to, to launch a school. I came here to proclaim Jesus, to live amongst you and proclaim Jesus. And, and the chief says, okay, that sounds fine. Okay, that sounds good. So then Nathaniel does these other things. They do some wells. They, do, um, they help them with, with, with crops. They do stuff. And, and about a year later, the, the chief comes back to him and he says, Nathaniel, we really need a school. And Nathaniel says, man, I'm not here to be a teacher. I'm here to teach God's word. Another thing, another year goes by, same thing happens. But this time, over the course of this year, something that what changes is Nathaniel starts to see that Chad just has a really poor, really, really just not good school system. The teachers are always on strike. Um, even when they are there, you, you never know if they're actually going to come and work that day. And, and something happens. The kids just stop going to school. And because they stop going to school, um, they can't read, they can't write. The little girls, they become, I think we, we've talked about this as we've, we've, we've raised money for a well in the last year, but like they become good for just going to get water. That's what their life amounts to. So, so Nathaniel is starting to have this change. He's starting to think, man, what if we did uh, launch a school here? So the chief comes back to Daniel, Nathaniel again and says, Nathaniel, we really need a school. And Nathaniel looks at him and says this, Okay, we'll, we'll do a school, but we're teaching the Bible. The kids are going to learn to read and write, and we're going to do it from the scriptures. We're talking about a people group that's 99.99% Muslim. And the chief looks at him and he says, fine. That's what he says, fine. I just want a school. So they go on, and I'm telling you this story because then Nathaniel, who, who, who can't do all this on his own, starts to reach out to people, and, and, and he raises a little bit of money enough to, to, start a, to get a teacher to come. And then he reaches out to the CLB, which he's a part of, and he starts telling this story. But, but so they, they go and they launch their, their first classroom right now this year. And, and for one teacher, they have between 50 and 60 kids. And, and there's 50 or 60 kids who are now sitting there, hear this, they, they went from never ever hearing about who Jesus is and following the Quran to learning to read and write through passages from the Bible. I'm telling you this because what we can't do on our own, because when we're weak, we need help from others, you know, um, and, and, and so many people, the chief needed help. So then he goes to Nathaniel. Nathaniel needs help. He goes to another teacher. Nathaniel still needs help. He goes to the, the church body. And, and you can sin, continue to see people help. There's always going to be a weaker member. There's always going to be somebody in need. This last week, I called to make sure I had all the details right as I was going to tell you about this school. They said this last week, what they taught the kids two weeks ago in and, and their readings and writings was that 
Jesus is the guy that we come to when we confess our sins, and as we confess our sins, they become no more. So then that's what they learned last week. He said this week they came back to school, and they all came back and they confessed all their sins because they don't want them anymore. They want them to be gone. I'm sharing this story with you because it's only a matter of a couple of years before an explosion of faith breaks out amongst the people of Chad. Right? And it's, it's what happens when the weak are surrounded by the strong. And see, what I wanted to talk about today is I, I wanted to make, make, make mention of this. I want you to see this. Grab one of the, the bullets or the little flyers in there and take it with you and read from it because it's, it's an awesome story. And it, it, it's amazing to watch God work but, but see, that's what happens when, when it happens in the, in, in the context of ministries. People love to come along ministries and help out a ministry that might be hurting or has a great story, right? But what about when it's time to come along a person who makes up a ministry? It's a little bit different then. It's easy to be like, hey, do you want to help out at youth group? Oh, yeah, maybe I do. Hey, you want to be a part of the praise team? Yeah, I can help you. I can add value. I can, I can use my gifts there. But what about when it comes time to walk alongside a person, uh, uh, someone who's hurting? What about when the story isn't pretty? What about when we're talking about coming alongside a student whose parents are divorced? The student acts out, is unruly, undisciplined, violent. What about when the kid is completely broken on the inside and what you are seeing is a reflection of the inside being acted out? What about when the parent is, 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 is divorced and, and the sin and the shame of the divorce is, is, is just intense? The person's depressed because the picture of their future is not what they thought it was always going to be, but it's a shattered picture of their dreams that will not become reality. And that person becomes spiteful, annoying, loud, and hard to be around. The first person was me, and the second person was my mother. What do we do when we see people like that? Do we? Because see, here's the thing I want us to see is ministry is not easy. I saw, I saw something, oh, this is a little meme, you know, these pastors think they're funny when they're online. And it said, being a pastor is like a walk in a park. And then the second half of the little meme was Jurassic Park, <laughs> you know? And then all these pastors are chiming in and they have those little blow-up suits on and so people attacking and, and stuff. And, and, but you know what? The, the, the job is never easy. You're always working with people. You're, when, when we open our eyes to the people around us, life is never easy. It's only easy when you decide to do this. Right? What do we do that to when you're on a farm? Is it horses? You, right? You, you put blind, you want them to get distracted? Let's pray, and then we're going to look at Romans chapter 15, verses 1 through 3. Dear Lord, Every single one of us have seasons of, of highs and lows where we feel strong or where we're more weak or, or whatever it might be, Lord. 
But Lord, would you just give us through these three verses your wisdom, your knowledge, your peace, your strength, your guidance, your eyes to see, your ears to hear, your desire for all, man, may you place it in our hearts, minds, and souls as we hear and see from these three verses. In your name we pray, amen. We're going to be looking at Romans chapter 15. If you're new here, we've been going through Romans. Uh, we do one chapter a week. This is the 15th week in it. Uh, I'm going to say this, and, and, I'm, and, and as much as I love doing this and going through Romans, I'm actually going to be thankful in two more weeks when we're not doing Romans anymore because it's convicting, it's hard, it repeats itself, and it repeats itself so that I can hear it and get it and I need that. Here's what it says in Romans chapter 15. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good, to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. As we get started, I want you to think about someone that you would maybe want to go and talk to when you, feel, when you feel bad about messing up in life. Let's just say you just really messed up. You know what you did is wrong. Who is the person that you go to? What, is it, what type of person are you going to, to look to, to confess, to confide in, to get help? I, I guarantee you the person that you're not going to is the person who just says to you, Man, you're a mess up. You just did that? You're an idiot. You're such a failure, right? Who runs to that person? No one. Matter of fact, you run to the opposite. That's the person you don't want to tell that which is going on in your life. You're probably going to run and turn to the person who's willing to go with you on a journey of recovery. The first verse in our text says, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. So let's start with we who ought to, we who are strong. What does this mean? I mean, I, who, who, who are the people who are strong? I think that we often think that the person who might be strong is the person who makes all the right decisions, who is super smart, has the best marriage, whose kids are respectful, who manages their household well, whose yard looks good, who makes financial sound decisions all the time, is super compassionate. And I'm going to say this, if, if, if you know someone like this, you should go to that person, but you should also tell me who they are. <laughs> I've yet to meet the person. I've met the person who you think, who he or she themselves think that's who they are. But it's not true. It's a facade. When Paul says, we who are strong, he is including himself. And how can Paul consider himself strong? What makes him strong? After all, this is what he says about himself in 1 Timothy this is what he says. He says, It is a trustworthy statement that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and this is what he says, whom I am the worst. So Paul is confessing that he's one of the worst of all sinners, and he doesn't write this for shock value. He wasn't writing this tongue-in-cheek. He wasn't trying to come across as humble. Paul wrote this knowing his heart. 
how he considered himself, how he knew himself to be such a horrible sinner. So what makes Paul strong is not his ability to be perfect or to navigate life with very few mistakes. What makes Paul strong is that he knows who he is. And it starts with he knows that he is a sinner. People who know who they are are also people who knows who God is. This is where we've been in almost all of Romans. This is what we've been talking about since day one. We, t- we use terms like Christology and theology and, and, and um, anthropology, who we are, the study of all these things, and, and, and we look at them. And, and, and when you want to know what makes someone strong, Paul has already gone through and he's talked about the sinfulness of man throughout the whole book of Romans, how each one of us is sinful and how we deserve death. And, and, and then he says, but you know what? There's, this, there's Jesus. So what makes a person strong is that they know they're a sinner and two, that they know that God loves them and that Jesus Christ redeemed them. That's what's strong. Because when you know this, Satan loses his ability to shame you. He loses his leverage. Sometimes we have a hard time letting people into our lives because we're scared that they might actually get to know you. And when they get to know too much about you, we start to fear that they won't like us. They'll know what we call the real us. And Satan wants us to keep that out. That's true. You know, as a pastor, there's like, I, I, I look at pastors on a, on, a, on a pendulum. And on one end of the pendulum is the pastor who, who's in his office, makes these really great sermons, spends a lot of time like, like teaching, but not a lot of time with people. But people look at him and they say, man, my pastor preaches all these great messages and he's wonderful. But I don't really know him. And on the other end of this spectrum is a pastor who hangs out with people so much that maybe they, he neglects some of his sermon prep, and, but, but he's always with people. And people know this pastor and they know who he really is. And I think like, like and because they know him, they know how bad he is and they think he's just like me. And there's something good to that and there's something good to this and there's this pendulum and I like to see where we all end up on it. I know where I end up on it. People know a lot about me. It's part of the reason why this is not about me. I don't want you to hear this, but it's, it's part of the reason why people say, hey, can we get together? Can we go have lunch? Can we hang out? Can we talk? And then in the middle of it, they didn't just want to go golfing. They didn't just want to go to have lunch. What they really want, they really want is they want somebody to talk to. But they didn't want to come to my office. So then we go and we go out to eat and we're sitting there talking and then, and then a confession comes and, and, and they say, I just feel like I can talk to you because you're real. And I've interpreted what real means over the last few years. Real means this. You've shared enough about your life that I think you're just as bad as me, if not worse. (laughs) So I can tell you what I'm thinking. I can tell you what I'm going through because you can't judge me because you're horrible. (laughs) That's the truth. That's the truth. When, when, when we're open with our life, with our mistakes, with our areas of sin, with our failings, when we're willing to confess who we are, that is when you're strong. And the verse, it talks about this. It, it, it says, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak. See, when you're strong, you, you confess what, what you are, that you're a sinner, and that you have Jesus who forgives you. And when you're weak, you look at the person who's strong, and you say, man, I can go to that person because they're like me. Strong does not mean that, that, 
that I wear the perfect suit and have the perfect part in my hair and, and, and I have nice shoes and I, and I match. Strong means that I can confess that I have a need for a Savior and that's real to me. But see, we're, we're scared of that because there's so much fear in, in being judged by other people. We don't like to open up. We don't like to confess our sin to other people because then we become judged by them. They might know who I am. Well, you have a Savior who knows who you are. There's two parts of this opening verse. You know, when you look at it, you know, there's, there's the strong who need to be there for the weak. But at the same time, the second part of that is that the weak know that, that they have someone to go to. We're never meant to go it alone. You know, when I look at Scripture, I don't ever see a time when it's like, you know what? This is something for you to bear on your own. It never, it's never been that way. Look at marriage. You know, it says, you know, uh, God brought Adam and Eve together and he made them what? One flesh. Blows our mind because it's really more than one, but the two become what? They become one and they do it together because they can't do it alone. Let me give you another one. We're considered one church, right? Many parts Many of us who sit here, but we're called one church, never meant to go it alone. But see, when we're struggling, when we're in a weak position, when, when we don't want people to know we mess up, it's easy for us to retreat. And when we retreat, we stay out of the limelight. We, play, we find a place where we feel comfortable hiding from our mistakes, from people knowing about them. We hide from confession. And the problem is that we just can't hide from our failures because they eat us up. And when we hide from other people and when, we, and when we're weak and we don't want to confess, then Satan reminds us of them, as I mentioned before. We're never called to go it alone. And matter of fact, we've been gifted so much by God. We are given the Holy Spirit, right? Is there, can you go to another slide? I think I have one up there somewhere. There we go. John 14, the Holy Spirit is our advocate, our helper, there to remind us of truth and to lead us to, um, to him and remind us of all that Jesus has taught us. That's what we've been giving, given. There's more of that when you, when, when you just read John chapter 14. Another thing that we've been given, because we've never been meant to go alone, is that God has given us his word, right? God's word gives us life. God's word teaches us. God's word rebukes us. God's word reminds us of his love for us, and we've been given the body of Christ. You are the body of Christ. And it actually says in that verse, I just typed it up a little wrong, in 1 Corinthians 12, 27, it says, you are now the body of Christ. We are many, but we are one, Romans 12, 5 says. And then it goes on, and it says, to bear one another's burdens with each other. never meant to go it alone because we couldn't go it alone. It is wonderful to be loved by others. It's true. But it's even more wonderful to be loved by others when you're in a season or time of struggling 
or when you feel weak or when you feel like you're a failure. And let me say it this way. It's even more wonderful to be loved by others even when you don't love yourself. Verse 2, each of us should please our neighbor for their good, to build them up. This verse calls of us to give ourselves, to care for our neighbor, not because it could benefit us, not because it could be seen by others and people would think I'm a good person, but because it lifts up someone else, to strengthen them up in Christ. You know, uh, I had this, uh, when I came to faith, I, I, I've shared parts of my faith story with you. Um, every now and then I like to throw it in, but when I came to faith, I was coming off, my parents were, 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 were recently uh, divorced. Um, my mom had committed some crimes. Uh, she was going to be going to jail. And there was this guy who I had just met, and I, mean, I had just met him, and he, he was the pastor at the church about three houses or three buildings away from where I lived. Um, and, and looking back on things, this guy exemplified verse 2 perfectly to me. I mean, I was a very, very difficult person. I was loud. I was insecure. I was mean. I was rude. I was hurt. I was poor. I was needy. I was attention-seeking. I mean this. I was thinking about this just yesterday. I don't think I offered this guy one thing. In the relationship, I was completely the weaker person. New to faith, and I just took from him always. Not like I, took, I stole from him. I mean, like, I was always the one in need. And he constantly gave to me. I, I, I think I've shared this with you before, but, like, I went to this guy's house every day for dinner. I just showed up. How's it going, Pastor Brian? Not bad. Come on in, Brandon. No hesitation, no waiting. I was, he'd even be like, oh, I was wondering when you were going to get here. We're going to go grab some food. You ready? Like, never made me feel like that which I was a burden. I knew it. I felt it. But that's not how he looked at me. It's not how he treated me. Bought me clothes put a down payment on a, a school for me to go to college. I'm just, I mean, I'm just trying to think of all, help me tie a tie when I went to my first funeral. Gave me rides to school. I mean, I don't know if, if, if he was naive or if he just didn't care and he just loved me, but like I would skip school and go to his house around lunchtime and he would be like, only half day of school today? I'd be like, yeah. You want to go grab some lunch? Yeah, let's go. And we go grab lunch, and I never paid. I never paid. But I think that's what it is, is when, when, when you come along, the person who's weaker, you're not there for, for something for yourself. You're there because you're there to, to, to lighten the burden of the person who's walking alongside of you in need. They need you to do that. And, and as I'm sitting there thinking, we all have these seasons and like there's times when like when I'm high and I know it and I'm feeling good and there's moments where the garbage is so real in my life and I feel horrible about who I am as a husband or a pastor or just a, a, 
father, and, 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 and you need this pick-me-up. Those who are strong aren't always strong, and those who are weak aren't always weak. We need each other. And Christ exemplifies this even more so. For even Christ, it says in verse 3, even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. When I read this verse, it makes me think of, of, of uh, I think it's Mark like chapter 4 or 5, but it's, it, and it's in a couple of the books in the New Testament of the Gospels, but it's when Matthew, Levi, um, is, is still a tax collector, and he starts walking with Jesus, and as he's walking, Jesus says, hey, we're going to go to your house, and, 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 and we're going to have dinner tonight. And Levi, Matthew, he starts to ask um, he, he invites people, he invites, it says, sinners and tax collectors to come to his house. And then Jesus is having dinner with them, and the good people, the religious people, are standing outside, and they say, this person eats and drinks and hangs out with sinners and tax collectors? And, 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 and just hear that. The insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. What you call me, Jesus died for. And, if, and when we say this, Jesus takes our sin, he becomes, when he was nailed to the cross, he became that which I was. So when they call me a thief, Jesus died for me, the thief, and he became a thief. And when they died for me, when he died for me as an adulterer, he became an adulterer. And what do I become? I become what? righteous. The religious people are on the outside looking in, but Jesus says, they are mine. I break bread with them. As people insult the weak, they insult Jesus. Jesus tells us our sins fall to him, and he takes the name of each of our sins, and he becomes weak on the cross so that we might become the righteousness of God. Let's pray. Dear Lord, may we live with eyes that are open to those who are around us who are struggling and weak. May we have a heart of compassion and care for those who are in need. Lord, may we come alongside ministries, but more importantly, Lord, may we come alongside individuals who we live amongst. Give us, an, give us the ability to have patience and grace and kindness and love. Lord, I just, I'm even going to say, I pray that you would, you would bless us financially so that we feel called to give even more to our neighbor so that we can give a hand, so we can help, so we can be there when they need us. Lord, but most importantly, may we share your words with those who are weak. May we come alongside and, and remind them of who you are, the one who forgives and redeems. In your name we pray, amen.